everyone, and welcome to the CMEX podcast. My name is Brenda Lee. I'm the CMEX Marketing Communications Specialist, and I'm here with Clarissa McCallum. Hello, Clarissa. Hello, Brenda. This is episode 11, and today we want to talk about calf recumbency with Jay Shannon. And Jay is Vice President Solutions and has been with CMEX, I think, for 10 years, Jay, is that right? It is it is 12 years. 12 years. I'm sorry. It is 12. And you've been leading our solutions department, and we consider you to be an expert in dairy genetics and our go-to when we have questions about traits, heritability, recessives, and haplotypes. So today we want to talk about calf recumbency, and this is a term that was new to probably the entire industry. Um, but was really brought up earlier this year, and we thought it was something that was pretty important about to talk about with our listeners. No, that's great, and, and I mean it's my it's my favorite subject, whether I like it or not, for the last four months. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's something that uh, that is current, and and certainly everybody wants to kind of fully understand it. So, no, it's, it's a great uh, great to be here. I have a lot of questions personally. Both of you have been working on this for the last four months, and I've been a bit on the side of it. So maybe let's start with Jay, if you can explain what calf recumbency is to me, and we'll go from there. Okay, sounds good. And and so it's a condition where calves uh, at birth they can't stand, and 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 it's also possible they can actually stand at birth, but they lose the ability to stand sometime within the first six weeks of life. Uh, the calves, you know, you'd think maybe the calves are, are extremely weak and, and unhealthy, but actually they're relatively healthy, normal body condition. They have a good appetite. It's just it's just that uh, the ability to stand on their own is not there. When an animal can't stand, they they often will weaken over time. They can be prone to infections. So, so it's a it's it's a it's a condition. Obviously, the animal can't can't uh, function on the farm and exist on the farm if they if they do not have the ability to stand. The, the mutation, just to give a little bit of science on it, the mutation is a, it's, there's a residue in the protein of the skeletal muscles that triggers muscle tensing and contraction. So that's, the, that's what happens where the animal can't tense and contract, thus it can't stand on its own uh, without assistance. So, um, so it's kind of something that's there that otherwise seems kind of relatively normal on the animals. And and one other thing I should mention, and I'm trying to train it in my own head because I've because you know at one time it was new to me too, and calf recumbency was was a word you were getting used to. Um, through the work of Holstein USA, they they have determined that they the proper diagnosis and terminology, and while it's early, they'd rather get it changed, is what it's being called is early onset muscle weakness syndrome. And we can short form that nicely <laughs> to muscle weakness okay, or MW. So it doesn't seem as serious when you say, oh, muscle weakness, that's not mm. bad. But obviously the muscle weakness hinders the an animal to stand and thus uh, this is a big problem. And with that, just backing up, so the protein, these animals have it or they don't? The animals, well, they have a residue in the protein residue. That, is, that is, yeah, that's affecting the, the 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 muscles and their action of triggering that is required for you to to balance on your on your own legs without or or they mm -hmm. kind of end up a little, I'll say, offset on their legs that they just can't uh, stand and and function, so they end up going back down. Okay. okay. How did and, how did we figure this out? How did lots of research, obviously. 
Well, that's the, the interesting thing is it, it's not unheard of in calves that are born that might be born weak and unable to stand. So this has existed for forever. So then, right. but that, but these kind of conditions have existed, not related to, to recumbency or muscle weakness at all. Um, so that's why it's really hard to uncover. But what happened is a really diligent group of U.S. dairy farmers uh, took notice. They noticed either an increasing incidence that didn't seem normal or their common sires in the pedigrees of those animals that said, hey, is there something going on here? And those uh, people reported it to the authorities. Now, the, 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 we'll say the authorities, somebody has to pick it up. And in this case, it was Chad DeKau from Penn State University. And he's, uh, you know, and I've had a lot of dealings with him, a real gentleman and a real strong researcher and, and great that he took it on. Um, so he took particular interest. He received all the tissues. He conducted genomic sequencing of the calves. Um, he was looking for common threads. Is there something here? And the interesting part is they found a common haplotype in every single calf. And what it, but that that haplotype is one of the most popular haplotypes that exist in the breed, and it actually dates back to a, one of the you know founding most popular bulls in in backs of pedigrees, Osborndale Ivanhoe. Mm -hmm. So right away they kind of went, well that can't be, or else we would have discovered it long ago and it would be everywhere. Um, so then the question then was, what's going on here? Why? What's what's happening? Or or or, or what's the explanation? And Rather than describe all the hypotheses, I'll tell, I'll tell you the one that turned out to be correct um, or appears to be the one that's correct is that there was a mutation that occurred within that haplotype um, that that basically at some point in in descendants of his great grandsons, great, you know, somewhere along in the descendants that followed Ivanhoe that actually caused a, a, a mutation in that haplotype. And what that means is all of a sudden there was two copies of the same haplotype existing. Mm -hmm. One that had the mutation, one that didn't have the mutation. So one that had the mm -hmm. negative effect and one that didn't. But in our commercial genomic panels, they looked the same. Mm -hmm. So it was almost okay. undetectable for us genomically, but we've got a bad copy going around that is, that is almost undetected being spread in the population. Um, the one thing that I wanted to, to mention just to, on Chad DeCow's work is that he's, he is, um, so he, because he did all the sequencing, he did a, um, he managed to find what he believed. And as an industry right now, we believe quite strongly that he found the causative mutation. And oftentimes that's like a needle in a haystack. Like sometimes genes are never fully discovered the exact uh, location of the gene, but um, so because he, he has found that, then all our genomic tests that the industry has done has been based on that mutation that he discovered where we can ID carriers and free animals and we can make action. So, so again, uh, Dr. DeKau's work has been obviously fundamental to this, to this issue. And with that discovery and obviously being a prolific bull, how widespread do you think this is in the population? Well, uh, I mean... I mean, the one, I guess with you, if I, to answer that is, you know, the, the, the original bull they thought it started with was, well, they believe it started or the, the, let's say the oldest known bull. So then he's either the origin or, or his mom was, or, or his dad was, um, but the oldest known bull is a bull named Southwind. And for mm -hmm. those that 
he was born in 84, so those my age know these kind of bulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Southwind Bell of Barley was his full name. And uh, what he did is he passed the mutation on to a daughter and then basically three generations later. And, and when a bull like that does, I mean, it's not, it's just there and, and it's not crossing with anybody that has it because the mutation started at that bull. Mm-hmm. And so it's only when it can get crossed with bulls that have that carrier that and animals that have that carrier that that it can happen. So, but anyway, it finally it after those three generations, it went to two famous bulls uh, and really influential in our breed is Robust, and that bull's name is Royland Sokra Robust. Uh, he was born in 2008, and his son Super Sire, which was Seagull Bay Super Sire, born in 2010, and. Those two bulls, you know, if we be honest, they're almost found in almost all pedigrees, I would say, of elite net merit and TPI genetics. Like, if you had a, a an animal that didn't have those in the pedigree, that was an ideal mate. <laughs> so <laughs> it's by nature, they end up almost everywhere, especially bulls so strong as those were. So as soon as our industry identified that these were suspect carriers, I mean, it was, it was alert because those bulls are everywhere so where would mm-hmm. where is this is this potential defect so even though there was still you know questions on the defect we knew time was of, of the essence and so everybody went into action to try to to try to start uh, identifying our, our own our carriers within the industry make the test public try to uh, address the thing so what i when i say that the wide, you know, I think most of us, Brenda, had had a fear at that stage that this was maybe really widespread. I mean, mm-hmm. you would have had, you would have, you know, any of us in our in the business would have had that fear. But um, so we, um, and and the one thing that you want to also take into account, I want I wanted to say, so if you're a herd, what instance incidents do you have? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a, a negative lottery. You might have used the son that was a free or you might have used a carrier. You might have just happened to unfortunately use all carriers and you didn't do anything wrong. It's mm-hmm. just you got the 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 bad flip of the coin, let's say. Um, so the incident's going to vary by herd uh, in these kind of cases. We believe the incidence in the population is somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 to 10 percent. Um, and and, and lo- herds on the low end might be 5 percent or lower and herds on the high end might be upwards to like 15 percent. That's our, that would be, you know, without having genomic tested the whole population for it and having it, yeah. that's our assessment of mm-hmm. where it is. And and country by country, that's going to vary depending on prominence of bulls um, mm-hmm. that, that exist in a country. But when I say that incidence is like 10% uh, or, you know, let's say 8 to 10%, that doesn't mean there's 8 to 10% that, that, that can't stand. That's 8 to 10% of carriers. And so right. what what we to create an animal that can't that, that can't stand, we have to make a carrier by carrier mating. Mm-hmm. So if in the population, if it's 10%, it's a 10% chance to a 10% chance. And that carrier to carrier mating 25% of the time will create an animal that's homozygous. So you can see how these kind of defects could sit kind of dormant mm-hmm. in a in a in a breed almost like you see a little tip of the iceberg and then potentially if you start passing thresholds of carrier you start seeing it as a problem in the breed and that's that's kind of you know where we were and where we are you know my opinion knowing our bulls knowing seeing the all the animals tested by in the industry 
we caught it just in time um, before it really became potentially a problem because it was on the rise. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, if you start having prominent bulls that get it, that that start repeating and are in the population, uh, you can have a problem pretty quickly. So this might be a dumb question, but when you were talking about the discovery of it, we don't have tissue samples of Southwind, or do we? Like, was were we able to test do we have his whole genomic profile where we're able to see that his entire panel? Yeah, our industry is well, I mean, really cooperative in that way. We have have we've had a uh, a database where we when every animal we have besides our genotypes that exist, we provide samples in in a, a library of our animals for for pre- preservation and and investigation mm-hmm. after. So almost all animals are accessible, I'm going to say. Um, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, we were able to to assess down on on that far. Um, you know, if you go back, you know, before him, you're going to start running out of out of that opportunity. But in those ages, that was that was still something that that we can source to. Yes. Well, I guess that's a win for genomics. I mean, that's amazing that we can do yeah. that. And really and to cool. the future, and to the future, when more things come up, we're able to trace it back. So that's awesome. And do you know, Brenda, I would say that as an industry, we were vulnerable to recessives. I mean, really vulnerable to recessives before genomics. Mm-hmm. But the the ability to address it, identify it quicker uh, in genomics is 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 definitely, I mean, advantage. We still need you know dairy farmers to notice it in the field if it if something it doesn't get noticed before then. But we do have the means to to address it much more effectively than than let's say the old days. Sure. So I, I do want to ask maybe another dumb question, but um, we've talked about haplotype and then now recessive. So um, what's the difference? Which is it? Can you expand on that a little bit for me? Yeah. The and it and it's a it's a question that that ends up with a little bit of a long response, I guess. And. Um, so a negative recessive gene, typically, I mean, recessives could be red or or these kind of traits, mm-hmm. but when we talk a negative recessive gene, it's a condition where it only gets expressed uh, in the phenotype when the negative allele has been inherited from both parents. Yep. Um, and so when they in- inherit from both parents, we call that homozygous. And, uh, and so we publish uh, negative recessive genes like BLAD and CVM and these kind of characteristics when we know the you know and what we've discovered is the exact location of the gene and we test precisely for the gene and we can diagnose a carrier and a free in the population and that's our recessive genes a haplotype on the other hand um is a and so and 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 the haplotype discovery which i'm thinking is about 10 years ago Mm -hmm. is an i mean an incredible discovery and opportunity for the breed for the breed and what we do uh, and what it is is they've discovered that a group a group of genetic mar- um, a group of genetic markers can be inherited together from an parent. They don't just they actually inherit in segments. And so we could not know the exact location of a gene, but it's inherited in that haplotype in that group. Mm-hmm. Then it, we can actually select uh, we can identify let's say a recessive gene without even knowing where it is, without having mm-hmm. a test for it. But what we have is the haplotype that is that is reflective of it and contains it and switches when it does. So a haplotype is, you know, like a recessive, it's just not perfect. It mm-hmm. might be it might be 95 to 100 percent accurate. Some haplotypes are 100 percent. They're actually 
completely the gene. There's no, almost no cases that, that if you had the gene and the haplotype, it's the same result. Um, but most of them that are in there, at least 95% um, going on. So in this case, um, you know, so most times what happens is the haplotype, they, they discover a condition, they can't find the gene, but they have a haplotype test that can identify the condition. And we implement it as an industry, a haplotype. So when you see on the pedigrees, HH1s, HH2, H8, these are all haplotypes. And the genes in some cases have been found now, but mm -hmm. most times uh, they, they either haven't or it takes some time. Mm -hmm. So what happens is we can actually almost eradicate the condition with a haplotype. And then when they finally one day find the gene, actually we've already kind of dealt yeah. with it and just confirmed it. So, so the yeah. haplotype is really effective. In the case of muscle weakness, um, what happened is, remember when I said this haplo, this, this uh, mutation occurred within a, a popular haplotype that was indistinguishable between the sure. good copy. So what it meant was we can't, um, we had a, you know, developing a haplotype test was a much bigger challenge. And it's a challenge that, that they, you know, will overcome and are about to overcome. Uh, but his, uh, Dr. Dickow, you know, discovered the causal mutation for testing animals. So we have a gene test um, for identifying it. But the main thing is there will be a haplotype. So there will be a haplotype that comes for, for, for muscle weakness. So we have originally the gene test, which is, you know, let's say the official, the, the exact status, but the haplotype will be so reflective of it. And the, what's the great thing if we have a haplotype for muscle weakness is, um, if you think about it, a gene test is a standalone test that only few use, mostly just studs, high end, and, and it's because it's an extra cost and people won't test. So then people never really test their animals and know, well, the haplotype is available for every genomic tested animal. So then what happens is if we have a haplotype, now the breeders can really address the condition because, and it's retroactive. They would have every result on every animal they've ever genomic tested and would have the haplotype prediction that my guess will be really close to 100% accurate. Um, and then at that time, and so sometime, I really was thinking it was good that the haplotype would come in August, but we just received notice that it's not coming. Um, so sometime I'm guessing between September and December, uh, we will have a haplotype for it. And then people that elevate, for example, elevate genomic tests will have haplotype or will have this condition carrier free on all their animals. And that will be, a, I mean, then we have all the means to, to fully address it, not just from the bull end, but from the full female end as well. So one of our competitors, and, and they described a haplotype as a zip code, whereas identifying the recessive is like the geo point, like the longitude and latitude, and here's exactly where it is. Yeah, oh, that's a cool way to describe it, which I thought was, you know, a great the, way to talk about it. And the only part is that most times those haplotypes are actually almost the same. Right. So in so in a case where. I mean, I know the the one we one of the haplotypes we have in the Ayrshire breed, we've gene tested all, and it had 100% concurrence, meaning, mm -hmm. yeah, it was 100%. It was actually the same thing. Mm -hmm. So a haplotype can vary in how precise it gets, and over time it becomes more precise. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen in muscle weakness, that haplotype is going to be 
really pre really precise. I I'm, I'm I would say it would be it would it, in my opinion replace the gene test, meaning it will be yeah. that accurate. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So we talk about eight percent, fifteen percent, five percent of a herd could be, you know, uh, affected by this. How how dare how concerned should a dairyman be? What should he be thinking right now? And I and and you know it's an it's an answer. I would say that he should be concerned and not concerned. So <laughs> uh, you know is, is what I would say. And what I mean by that is, um, in other words, if you said like concerned was really worried or or panicking to to not um, then what i would say is a recessive condition that's lethal in nature which is this case meaning the animals won't survive that are homozygous in most cases here um, that has to be taken seriously if we don't manage it it's going to become a bigger problem either in the population or on my farm even if the mm -hmm. studs are really restricting if i don't really know what's going on and i'm not taking care of it so I think that all farmers have to be diligent to do so. On the contrary side, where I said they shouldn't be so concerned, is we just use common sense. Um, mm -hmm. We use tools like our, our Optimate program, our Optimate mating program, that are built for the this for muscle weakness logic, that avoid carrier-to-carrier. If I avoid all carrier-to-carrier matings, then I will not have a con that condition on my farm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. So I can obviously eliminate the condition on the farm, and then also then I can work to reduce the incidence of carriers on my farm by by restricting how much carriers are used or or these or eventually weeded out as has happened for for other um, defects. So we've had some, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Brenda, we've had like blad and brachyspina, CVM, HCD. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not it's kind of part of genetics that you're going to have mutations that will occur if they get identified as an industry. The one thing we've proven is they can we can almost address them overnight and I'm obviously making a an overnight statement that's not overnight but in relative time terms mm -hmm. it's quickly and where it's almost in the rearview mirror very quickly once it's identified and put into the population and and understood how we how we work to avoid and 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 eradicate it and so obviously CMEX tested all of its bulls have all the bulls been completed? Where are we at with that? Yeah, we've tested uh, over 1,600 animals to date. Virtually all the bulls in our offering and all our product development bulls that mm -hmm. are coming into offering. So mm -hmm. you shouldn't see if we if there's a bull that's not tested, it's because, you know, we either could, you know, we it's a standalone test. We actually have to retrieve geno, uh, not geno. We can't just get genotypes. We have to get tissue. So there might be, you know, there might be some real dated bulls in our group that would not be, but mm -hmm. I would say any bull that we have product on or and have for quite a long time, we will have a test. We have a test result for. Um, so we tested bulls in the market, young genomic bulls, bulls, young genomic bulls that we're considering on farm still, and we had uh, about 11% carriers overall uh, amongst those. And one thing I want to say is the younger the older bulls, the incidences was very low. Mm -hmm. And then as you got closer, and that's what I meant by it was in an increasing trend, then mm -hmm. the rates came up. If I look at our 800 global marketing bulls, our 800 bulls that are on our global marketing list, it's just over 6% uh, are carriers. So it kind of gives you a gauge that, you know, it's a, a manageable um, 
a manageable number where we've we've eliminated some bulls obviously and then bulls that just have a lot of lot of value uh that may then if people want to use them even though they're carriers then there's still some some access but obviously over time we'll continue to restrict and limit and reduce the the the, the carrier status in our own group um for CMAX, and just to say, I should say, mention a few bulls that we would have that, you know, when we test it, I mean, obviously you get some things you might think were possible and some surprises. Uh, we have carrier bulls of significance, included Granite, Challenger, Guarantee, Epoxy, and Perseus. I'm picking out five bulls that maybe, um, you know, are, are fairly prominent in, in our, let's say in our background and history or in pedigrees. Mm -hmm. um, as for younger bulls, we had three bulls of significance that were used as sire of sons. Uh, they were ha jalapeno and overdue and um, and power power star. Um, and so that you know the the real the positive for us is we were carrying a lot more bulls in our young group um, because we had such a high level of ones and not wanting to to release them per se in the marketplace. And, and so we kept a lot more bulls. Um, so we were able to screen our candidate group. And, and I would say that when you look at it, we essentially have little to no impact on our future. Uh, even though we had three prominent sire of sons that ended up carriers in it. So, um, and the real lucky thing is the, the sons of those three bulls, it really seemed that, uh, a much higher proportion than expected of the highest sons ended up free. So we really ended up with, with, you know, I, again, I would say very little to no effect on us as far as, um, as far as the, the, you know, and something that, that obviously a little bump in the road, but something that we can, we can overcome and, and address and, and, and have, and have been, and will continue to do so. So if I'm really keen and I want to know what my favorite CMAX bull is, his status, how do I figure that out? So we we have on our um, so on our website. So as soon as we tested all our bulls, so so um, we finished testing our bulls just at the beginning of May. We made a, a release with all the information about the condition to explain it to the clients, and then we also put on our website all of our status of all tested bulls. And then mm -hmm. as any any bull we've tested since then, we've updated the list. So we try to keep it as current as possible. The industry is still working on what it's doing. So we took the responsibility to say that, you know, our, the due diligence that our, our, our clients need to know and, and address, and we shouldn't have any information that we're not putting out into the, in the, into the public domain about any of our, our bulls. So, um, now in, in August, because there's no haplotype and we felt like the continuance of a list and not appearing, let's say on the sire page was maybe something that shouldn't continue. We expected the industry would, would have these values by this time. So what we've made a decision for August is we're going to, um, store and like load the, the muscle weakness status onto the sire pages that appear on the web, the sire pages that appear on catalogs, into the solutions, all the places where where our bulls would be. So it's treated just like a recessive, like any other, and, and appears on, on the information on the bull. Um, so that's what we're, our plan is. And the acronym that people should look for? 
So it's going to be MW. So um, MW, well, and and you know the 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 coding of this in Canada and the U.S. is a little different, but um, in Canada it'll be the MWC for a carrier, the MWF as a free. In the the U.S., the it the only difference it's going to still be MWC, but the MWF is MWT because they test uh, the T in the U.S. is kind of tested free. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So that's that will be the only the only difference between the two. But yeah, that will that will be the expression of the of it. And the industry, I mean, I I believe that's where where the industry is. There's one other stud that I can see that's going to start publishing, and they're using that. So that's where we said, okay, that's where it will be. If there's decisions made differently when Holstein USA finally publishes, or when these kind of things happen. Then we will uh, we would adjust it, but we believe that will be the the coding that they will use as well. So at the farm level, you talked about it being in some of our solutions. What should uh, a producer be doing with a CMAX rep if he wants to eliminate or monitor or is concerned? Yeah, I mean one thing for sure is is um, I mean so mating is a critical. It's mm -hmm. critical to. So using the Optimate program that's built for it, that can avoid that carrier carrier mating, we also penalize carrier bulls so that your so your effort is to try to reduce and carrier females. If you have carrier females that you know, and you might not have them genomic tested right now, a female, right? You don't mm -hmm. know the the muscle weakness, but we're actually calculating the probability that your female might be a carrier so it might be that we can look at it and say there's a 50 percent chance that th that animal's a carrier or mm -hmm. a 25 percent chance that it might be a carrier so we're addressing probability and trying to to penalize matings to reduce the chance that you have uh, a resulting calf and you continue to reduce um your carrier. so those are the critical ones i believe you know if i'm a dairy farmer and i really want to genomic test my herd um, mm -hmm. And if I'm not genomic testing my herd, I'm really, you know, there's obviously many really good reasons to do so. Uh, but these are great ones because all of a sudden, what is, what is my exact exposure? Right. What, how many carriers do I have? Where's my part? Where do, you know, do I want to accidentally, you know, meaning um, IVF an animal that it was a carrier or and accelerate that? So I, if if I'm thinking. I really would like to genomic test my my animals and then say, okay, there's my spot, there's my exposure. I use mating, I use these things, and then and another thing you have, you have a constant audit on where's my trend. Am 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 I am I doing well? So so these genetic genomic testing programs are perfect for addressing these kind of problems and dealing with them in a well managed, uh, really really you know quick way of trying to analyze it. So I'd be looking for those things if I'm if I'm a farmer, I'm I'm I mean the one thing you know some people say is well should I avoid using carriers at all? Should I make no carriers? And there's some farms that are gonna, you know, some dairy producers are gonna say, well, you know, the easiest thing is I just don't not using a carrier. So then they eliminate any chance of any carrier and thus they're not bringing it any further from the male side into them, whatever they got in their herd but that's their means of doing so. And I would say as a breed, I mean, historically, uh, that used to be the way. You'd have a carrier of a lethal mm -hmm. and then eliminate them all. And, and CMAX and other studs did that. And, and But what we do is you think about diversity of genetics 
And if we start eliminating for this reason, and then there's another defect and then eliminating, we're eliminating bloodlines. We're eliminating diversity, potentially. We're eliminating what might otherwise be, you know, animals that could could be the next extreme of what the, what creates the best genetics. Mm-hmm. And we're eliminating it. So, so I think in general, there's going to be some farmers that are going to say, well, wait a minute, and 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 that are going to look at for where can I minimize carriers, but where can I use them and and still. You know, and obviously I don't breed them to a carrier, but could mm-hmm. I still use them if they're really high and look for opportunities? Um, you know, I think that's quite reasonable. And and I can say that CMEX will, you know, is not one to eliminate all carriers from its breeding program. Um, we will certainly reduce and not and, and eliminate many of them from the breeding program. Uh, but if they're really high and they have a lot to contribute. And if we know we're mating them to a free animal, then we know that actually 50% of their offspring will be free. Mm-hmm. And so we can still get the highest genetics and manage that and really make progress. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've always, I think that, you know, there's a lot, when I said common sense, there's a lot more common sense addressed in these kind of things to try and say we can manage them and not, not just be, you know, not just deadline eliminate them yeah and, I mean, and then suffer the consequences of, of losing all those genetics i guess well we wouldn't have a red breed if we had followed that philosophy right because yeah. t- there was a time where they were eliminated from the breed it was seen yeah, as a like, defect and they were gone yes exactly and the and the you know when i said that we had power star and um and overdue and and um and jalapeno as as carriers that were young sires of sons bulls um, well, some of their best bulls and some of the best bulls we'll bring forward are offspring from from those bulls that are free. And mm-hmm. and so wouldn't that be, you know, wouldn't mm-hmm. that be a mistake that we would have if we had known earlier and cut them off and never allowed mm-hmm. them. And then those genetics are never seen and they might be the genetics that are the the next. Great, great, great bull that creates the, the next great offspring. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So so it's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that's the 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 right balanced approach to take in in addressing these kind of problems. Well, and the other great thing about genomic testing your herd is that you're prepared to assess, you know, if the next recessive, the next haplotype, these are going to keep happening. You know, like you said, our first one came about ten years ago, but we're in a completely different place now with the the population of females that has been tested. Yeah, I'm I'm. I am always so impressed, and I say not just with CMEX's response, but our competitors in the AI mm-hmm. industry. Nobody, it's like a very positive, oh, we have a problem, what has been identified, make sure we understand it. But I would say that everybody is extremely diligent to say we've got to deal with it. You know, which ones do we have? And there's no defense. Mm-hmm. There's no backup. It's kind of you know, a matter of fact, it's extremely proactive. I would say the, you know, is the response and that's what it has to be. And when it's that you can deal with these things in a, in a very productive manner as, as, as what is happening with, with, um, with this muscle weakness. Well, that's great. I mean, answered a lot of questions for me, lingering questions that I text you and I email you and you're probably thinking, (laughs) and we need to have a session on this, Brenda, and get you up to speed. But uh, I really appreciate it. Clarissa, did you have any other questions remaining? 
No, I learned a lot today. Thank you, Jay. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jay. And we look forward to seeing all the the information that will come about in August in just a couple of weeks. So we thought it was important to get folks prepared and thinking about it again. No, that sounds great. And, and looking forward to the August proofs. All right. Thanks, Jay. Have a great yep. one. Thank you. If you like this podcast, give us a four-star review. It really helps others find the show and learn more about CMEX, our people, our programs, and our services.